Welcome to the Winners Win Podcast, the podcast that highlights awesome people in Kansas City and their secrets to success. I'm your host, Jamie Simpson. I'm the Chief Operating Officer of NetStandard right here in Kansas City. At NetStandard, we manage technology so that our clients can focus on growing their business. Today, my guest is Chris Culbertson. He's in business development at Brown & Brown. Hi, Chris. Thanks for being with us today. Hello, Jamie. Glad to be here. Excited to have you on the podcast. Um, One of the first things I like to start with, and I know you've been doing your homework, so you should be ready for this (laughs) question, is the podcast is called Winners Win, but I like to ask about a memorable failure that you've had in your life. So do you have a, a story of of woe that you'd like to share? You would think that I would be prepared, and I have thought a lot about these questions, <laughs> especially the failure and the win one, because I know they'd come right off the top. And had a couple, and I knew that it would just, uh, one of those uh, gut feels of which one is the right one to come up with. Yeah, but, what are you feeling today? Yeah, because I, uh, I go from like youth, youth sports, very competitive, played a lot of youth sports, but then also, you know, it's kind of a business podcast. So do you talk about the, the business one or the youth one? And I think I would go back to, uh, it's not a particular game, but it was a particular team. So growing up, uh, I played uh, competitive basketball. Okay. And we had a, an arch nemesis in the Topeka Bulls. We were the Blue Springs Force. They were the Topeka Bulls. And it seemed like every tournament we would face each other in the championship game. And they just, it was always a close game. It was always inside of five points, but they just, they got us every single time. And I probably tell this story a lot, so people that know me have heard, but uh, their point guard was Gary Woodland, who is now a PGA professional. Yes. And, And he actually taught me something at a young age because... He was my arch nemesis. He was their point guard. I was our point guard. They had a baseball team. He was the shortstop. I was our shortstop. Ran into him all the time. And we would go, we would even go on a travel basketball tournament down to Springfield. They'd go to the same one. So we'd stay at the same hotel. And you just, you want to hate somebody like that? But he was the absolute nicest guy in the world. And I couldn't. So it was really kind of a cool thing because at a young age, I realized how competitive you can be in a certain environment. And then still go out and shake hands and, and, and be a good person outside of that. It doesn't have to be something that translates, you know, 24-7. I love that. That's a great story. Because I had a one of my very good friends. We were on a board together. Gosh, now it's been 20 years ago, I bet. But <laughs> I was the finance officer. And she was the president at the that year on the board. And we had to make this big decision about something related to the finances. And I was advocating very strongly. My recommendation was something that was just the opposite of hers. And so we sat in this board meeting with all these other women and we were like, here's what we're going to do. And I mean, we were having it out. Like we were debating <laughs> about this huge issue. It went to a vote. I don't even, I couldn't even tell you which one of us actually won, but then we walked out and we're like, we're ready to go get a drink. Like you good. And, and I always think back to that and think you have to learn that there's a difference between what's on the field and what's happening outside of that. You should, you got to be able as a good relationship, you got to be able to disagree and then be able to like, okay, we're good. Let's and respect the fact that somebody else has the conviction for whatever yeah. they believe in, which is, which is great. That's yeah, what it's right. about. That's why, yeah, you yeah. need to have those conversations. Yeah. So you never know, but yeah. that's an excellent lesson. It's funny. Um, 
a lot of people have strong memories of, you know, childhood sports and like some mm -hmm. colossal experience. Like, you know, when it, it ends up, it's funny how it ends up resonating later in, in life, you know, and you kind of look back and go, so are you, do you, you and Gary still besties or you invite, <laughs> you invite you out on the tour? With no, him or? no, no. Because you're a big golfer, so. Yes, he's a little bit better than I am, so it, it continues into adulthood. He's still got my number. <laughs> he's but. still just a little bit better. Well, it is his job, right? That's so, true, that's true. So speaking of that, why don't you um, give me a little background on what you do? And, uh -huh. and I don't know a whole lot, Chris, about how you got to doing what you do. So why don't you share? Sure. So I am uh, business development, uh, oftentimes called a producer in the insurance world for a broker here in town called Brown and Brown. And so our producers actually represent both sides of our house. So the employee benefits and the property casualty. Okay. So a little bit unique in that I have the ability to sell on either side. Right. Uh, but it's all insurance related for the broker services and uh, I've been in the business for a little over 11 years now. I actually recently made the move to Brown and Brown about a year, a little over a year ago now. Um, so originally right out of school, uh, graduated, didn't really know what I wanted to do. Uh, I've kind of always had that entrepreneurial spirit. Um, and uh, a friend of mine's dad, who was also a mentor of mine, uh, was starting a company at the time uh, called kcfit.net. And he said, you know, why don't you, why don't you come check this out? Come to a couple of meetings. I think this would be something you'd have interest in. So uh, I went to those and basically they hired me on. I was the one employee and we created an online uh, wellness benefit. So it was, we, we databased all the parks in the Kansas City area. So if you're looking for a basketball court and a walking trail, you know, for this zip code, you can find one or whatever you're looking for. Uh, we had discounts to all kinds of health clubs and health food stores and things like that. Uh, and we put it together and packaged it as an employee benefit. So a company could buy it for employee per month cost. They'd have access to the discounts and the website. Uh, evolved into tracking steps. So you had walking competitions and stuff with the pedometers. Sure. Back in the day before we had our <laughs> cell phone or smartwatch that did all of it. Yeah. yeah. That's good. Uh, so it was a great experience for me um, right out of school because I got, I mean, I was, I was doing all aspects of it. Um, and then from there, uh, actually, we, we did pretty well. We kind of plateaued and we had a big deal with uh, Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Kansas City where they were going to roll it out to all their small groups and individual members. And between signing that deal and implementation of that deal, the head of marketing left Blue Cross and Blue Shield. The new person that stepped in just didn't really have the same vision. Um, so it kind of uh, just sputtered there. We plateaued. And right at that time is when I got married uh, to Megan, as you know, Megan and Olivia, my stepdaughter. Uh, so I became unemployed, a husband and a father in the same week. Yes. Big week. So very quickly had to figure out what I was going to do with the big boy. And I knew it was coming, so it wasn't like a big right. surprise. But So I actually went to work. That's intimidating. At, yes, yeah. yes. So yeah. I went to work at Blue Cross and Blue Shield, actually, on the health insurance side. Um, and so employee benefit to health insurance, kind yeah. of in that same realm. Uh, and after being there for a year or so, uh, moved out to one of their wholly owned subsidiaries to get an opportunity in sales. And that's where I was like, okay. Sales is what I like. This is what I want to do. Um, now, what do I want to sell? 
and already being in that world, uh, was calling on a lot of brokers at the time and, and said, you know what, I probably ought to explore this thing and, and made the move a little over 11 years ago. That's great. Yeah. When you were growing up, did you always have a desire to be in sales? Is that, were you like that kid that always had a lemonade stand or was hustling, you know, some sort of sneakers on the side of their locker or whatever? Yeah, yeah. I would, again, kind of goes back. I say I had kind of an entrepreneurial spirit. Yeah, yeah. To me, it's kind of one and the same. So even now, like, I, I kind of run my own business from a standpoint of the sales and the operation. I don't, sure. you know, uh, so I still kind of view it the same. But yeah, always doing something. Always hustling. Always got to work. I always got to be around people. I'm not good at sitting at a desk. I'd much rather, I mean, lock into a conversation and, and I'm the kind of person that will sit there for two or three hours in a conversation too. I'm, I'm, uh, if, if FOMO was a diagnosis, I'd be the first one to get it. So. <laughs> well, that's great. It helps to have sort of the gift of gab, right? When you're talking to a lot of new people and yeah, I'm sure that's good. Well, good. Well, what made you choose Brown and Brown? Why'd you make the decision to change? That is a good question. I will, uh, that's hard to do it in was, that role, right? Because you've built a book of business and you've got sort of things you're doing. Correct. Had to leave that whole thing behind. Had a non-compete. Um, really, I just felt like I was kind of hitting my head on a glass ceiling. And I wasn't able to grow my book uh, the way that I wanted to. And so I just had some frustrations there. Um, some things that happened at the company with transaction, you know, ownership of the company and things like that also. Where it just kind of was the time where... You take a step back and go, okay, if I'm going to stay here, I need to actively make a decision to stay here. Yeah. So that was really the conversation that I had started at home, obviously with Megan. And, and that was what we talked about. Cause I didn't, the last thing I wanted was five, 10 years from now to wake up and go, I'm, I'm still here. And I, I don't know if I should be. So I, I wanted to actively make that decision of this is the right spot or there's another spot. Uh, and made a connection. Some, some people knew, uh, you know, tight circle that, that you're looking, you know, if you've ever been through that, it's kind of a, a tough one. feel like your stomach's inside out for a couple of weeks or months. But um, somebody that was aware that I was a little bit frustrated, uh, made the connection to these guys and uh, took a call from them pretty quickly, had an offer in front of me and had to kind of push the brakes and go, it's been 10 years, I got to walk away from a book, need to to, to slow down and think about it. So the things that really attracted me is that Brown and Brown's uh, fifth largest broker in the country. So we've got all the resources and everything that you would need. The Kansas City office, while it's a pretty good size, there's not a ton of salespeople. Uh, so there was plenty of opportunity in the Kansas City market. I wouldn't have to get on a plane or drive somewhere to try and find nice. accounts yeah. or opportunities that somebody's you know hasn't already talked to. Um, the ability to sell both the employee benefits and the uh, property casualty because oftentimes that's a business owner or a CFO decision maker. So when you have that strong relationship, I, I love the opportunity to do both. Uh, but really what it came down to is uh, the way they went about their process with their marketing and with their data analytics to me was knowing what I knew on the backside and, and doing this for so long knew that it was a differentiator. It was a true market differentiator. And if I knew that what we did was really, really quality work for people, it's really easy to pick up a phone and start calling. When you're not sure if you can deliver on the backside, it's pretty hard to pick it's up a that phone. It's bad position to be in. 
<laughs> exactly. So that yeah. confidence and, and knowing that I that it's a that it's really good people and really good uh, processes in place uh, finally gave me the confidence to pull the trigger. That's great. So, what were some of the challenges that you faced initially after making that decision? Uh, the number one thing was well, first because you have the non compete, obviously right. uh, you're starting from scratch, but. Um, previously I just worked with a lot of smaller companies, um, and, and at Brown and Brown, our focus is on a little bit larger companies, still mid market, but larger than what I had. So my network really didn't translate nearly as much as I thought it would. Um, so the first two to three months was reaching out to everybody I knew saying, Hey, let's go grab coffee. I want to get you updated on what's going on. See what you know out there. Yeah. As I did that, I kind of was going, Oh man. Did I <laughs> harder reset than I thought? Right, yeah. Did I make the right move? Ultimately, you know, I think it's the right move long term, and I know that, you know, from a standpoint of capabilities, it's the right move. But yeah. that's good. So <laughs> scary though. Yeah. Here, here afterwards and being going, yeah, it's the right. I mean, it yes. does take time. I think in any transition, you. I was just talking to somebody about my son, who's a freshman in college, and I, everybody I've talked to who has a freshman in college will tell you about halfway through the first semester, they're like, nah, this was the wrong choice. And you're like, oh my gosh, not again. And I do, I think you've kind of hit that bump where you go, am I sure this is what I really want to do? And so when you can get yeah. past it and go, yeah, this is, I'm in the right place, I think that's good. So do you think that your kids come by that desire to be entrepreneurial naturally? Or do you think they're mimicking something they've seen you guys do? Or I think that most kids probably come by it more naturally than we'd think. It's more of a identifying it or, or fostering it, kind of you know watering that plant or watering that seed so that it can sprout. Um, so I've tried to kind of create a process around this. And it hasn't really worked to this point, but my thought is every summer, I'm like, there's got to be a way that we can, you know, hey, each kid come up with a business idea. I'm going to give them $100 and that gets them some supplies or whatever it yeah. is and kind of say, hey, that's your summer job. Um, so we've kind of had variations of that. And I think that's what kind of gets them thinking about it more. Obviously, haven't quite uh, honed in on it. At some point that I, I will and I'll turn that into another business. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you're right. I mean, I think it's the, it's probably a combination of all, all of those things, right? They maybe are initially risk takers and they have sort of that mentality, but then, you know, they've seen you all turn things that you like doing into businesses and that mm -hmm. probably resonates. Yeah. One year, the COVID year, my daughter was making cookies like crazy. She's making cookies all the time. And I was like, the, we got to get rid of these cookies. So she, I had her do all the math, you know, what are my supply, you know, what are you going to charge? Yep. How much are you going to, you know, how much does it really cost to make them? And then, and so she did all the work and then we put it on Facebook like you did. She's probably 12 and, you know, it was like, I thought it was a good experience for her. She only did it yeah. for a few weeks, but it's like, she at least got the mentality of, okay, this is kind of how you figure out the costs and this is kind of how you figure out if you're going to make any money. And, yep. you know, they, one time she and her friend wanted to just dog wash. That was something, it was like. That's great. I Better mean, all of me. the adults in the world would love for their dogs to be washed, but how are we going to get those dogs to some place where we're going to wash them? And then that was it sort of died. But I was like, it seems like a great idea, but maybe you haven't quite thought out the logistics. But it's yeah. great. But I, I mean, I really do think kids kind of 
you got to kind of encourage them to take risks and think through some of those things. Exactly. It's all about yeah. trying to identify some of those things that you think can be beneficial to grow into something later on and just flex those muscles, right? The yeah. more that you're working those muscles and flexing them, the more they can grow as, as the kids grow up. But. I feel like the best thing I can do for them is to introduce them to people who do like when they're interested in something, it's like, then I can go, oh, okay. I have a friend who's a trauma surgeon or I have a friend who is an accountant or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then you can kind of like, I feel like then it lets them kind of see what their possibilities are. But Absolutely. I guess it always doesn't always work, but it's nice to that you have some yeah. you have little entrepreneurs that yes. are growing in your household. And I could, it, I mean, I could go off on a tangent forever, but I, I really, I just... I obviously think way too much. That's also a reason that I love having conversations because it makes me like lock in and listen and I'm really intrigued by other people and it shuts my brain off. But um, I think a lot about, uh, I lost my train of thought. That's okay, we can edit that out. Okay. <laughs> you had just said... Uh, you're growing, budding entrepreneurs. And you were saying that you like to talk to me. Oh, come back. And, and, oh, oh. It'll come back. It was, uh, yeah, so the, um, one of the things that I've always thought about and that I think is really, really important kind of ties in with um, uh, nonprofit space and some of the charity, you know, the things that I like to focus on are kids and kind of breaking that cycle. But I've always thought that one of the biggest differences um, at a young age is whether or not you can think about today or tomorrow. If you're always worried about today, if you're worried about where your next meal's coming from, or if you have a coat to wear to school, that's survival mode. Yeah. You can't think about tomorrow. If you can think about tomorrow and kind of have those dreams or understanding, like you just said, introducing somebody to an accountant. Well, it's not just the work the accountant does, but it's also who they are, how they represent themselves in the community, uh, where they live or their lifestyle. When you can see those other things, you can you can start to put an end to a means, right? And you can start to bridge that gap. And I've always thought that that would be an important lesson that you could intertwine within the school system. I always think school system because that's the only opportunity we have to touch every kid, right? But if you could create some of those opportunities for people to see tomorrow and what tomorrow can be and, and allow them to dream a little bit, I think that can help make that connection back. Yeah, sometimes at that standard we talk about the art of the possible, you know, and it's it's giving people an idea of what they can do. Because sometimes you can't picture what you can't. If I've never seen somebody who isn't just thinking about survival today, then how can I even dream of being something different? You know, yep. and I always say the thing that's hard about it, and we both have high school age kids, but the thing that's hard about being a high school age kid is you're trying to figure out what you want to be when you grow up. But a lot of kids have only seen what their parents do, doctors, lawyers, whatever they've seen on TV as a, you know, an Instagram influencer, you know, yep. they're, they've got such a limited view to different opportunities that how do they even know if they want to be an EMT or a you know, I don't know, a project manager or whatever, they have, they've got no visibility to what those things are. So you're right. Yeah. I think, I do think that's one of the differences, you know, and I think a lot of the charities and big brothers and big sisters and some of the, the groups in town really focus on providing equal access to those opportunities for kids because they don't yes. necessarily have yeah. the same resources. And I think it's almost, it's almost a byproduct of a lot of the things that the organizations are doing, but it's not necessarily a focus of it which is really cool too. Um, 
But I just think that any more too with with the way that the world's kind of shifting since COVID, and and we talk about you know the next generation coming up, and you know they don't want to work in offices, they want to work from home, and different things like that. Well, now it's not just what do you want to do for a living, but what's your lifestyle? Yeah. And then you back into a career that can oh for sure right. I mean that can line yeah. up like being in sales. I love being around people. I love entertaining. Like let's go to a Royals game. Those things all kind of play into the reason that I like to do what I do. And that's why from a sales standpoint, when I'm looking at it going, what did I want to sell? Was kind of one of my first questions. Well, I wanted to do business to business sales because it's more of a relationship based. It's more of that, you know, love real estate, but I, I couldn't sell houses all the time. It's just not for me. Yeah, right. And also the hours, you know, I like to coach kids stuff and, and things like that on weekends. Sure. Where I got to do nights and... So if you're thinking through all those different things, then it can it can kind of tie back oh, as that's well, a huge which is cool. Part. Yeah. Right. I mean, our kids, when we were all working from home during COVID, I have several of our kids were like, I don't know what you do, but I'm 100% doing that. Like yeah. the idea of sitting on Zoom all day and meetings was like, I, anything with that, you know? And yep. so I do think they, you know, thinking about how they want to live their lives, you know, what yep. kind of life do you want to live? And what does that feel like? And what does that mean for your hours? And, yep. you know, where you live and, and all of those things is an important part of that. So we've kind of gotten off on a tangent yes, about our kids and all their stuff. But I tend to do I, that. No, it's good. But <laughs> you, you sort of alluded to, as we were talking about that, you know, some of the things that you do in the community. And you've been really involved yes. civically. And I know um, I probably don't even have a good idea of all of the things you do. I know you were the, the past chair of Casey Can, right? Mm -hmm. So... Tell me a little bit about some of the things you do in the community and how'd you get started doing those things? Sure. Uh, always kind of had uh, interest in it and, and just getting involved in some different ways, volunteering back to high school, you know, when you've got some things that are required and then all of a sudden you go, oh, that actually was kind of fun. Um, but uh, I've always, working through mentors and things like that, as I got into sales, I really kind of developed what I call a three-prong approach. And so I've got cold calls and things like that that I'm constantly doing. Those are today, right? And then you got you got some sort of business relationships or referrals and things like that. And that's kind of that near future, but I call it kind of the midterm, you know, uh, middle of the road, if you will. And then there's long-term. And I think the long-term is the legacy, the other things that we want to do in life. They're going to foster great relationships and, and goodwill over time. And, and so that's where that kind of always fell for me. And early on, I did a lot, I, you know, as kind of say yes to everything, right? Um, after doing it for a few years and then having my own kids and starting to get busy, had to kind of start paring it back down. So Casey Can's really my main focus from uh, a charity organization um, other than Rotary. Uh, Rotary is very near and dear to me as well. I don't hold a board position there or anything, but uh, Casey Can, it kind of boiled down to, it's, it's about kids. Um, and we raise money through one event a year all of the money we raise, that's then our budget for the following year to provide to other 501c3s in the Kansas City metro area for programs that relate to kids' education, basic needs, or wellness. So it's a great opportunity where it's not a ton of time commitment, uh, but it's a huge impact. Uh, and not only that, you get every organization, well, not every organization, hopefully we get more, a lot of organizations submitting grants that you get to learn about. Uh, so, you know, whenever that next step is for me, probably when my kids 
you know, are out of the house or I'm not coaching at least. I've got, you know, 20, 30 different organizations that I know quite a bit about. Sure. And I know what's going to call to me, you know, if I want to go serve a little bit further in one of those capacities. So. So we were talking about Casey Can. Uh -huh. um, so what other, and you mentioned Rotary, what other yep. things do you do in the community? Uh, so those are the two main, uh, from an organization standpoint or nonprofit standpoint. The other thing that I absolutely love, again, kind of goes back to where we started, is youth sports. So I think it's a great way to make an impact on a community. So I coach soccer, uh, baseball, basketball currently. I've also done volleyball. I'm sure some other ones in there as well, but... Um, for all four of my kids at various points and various seasons have done that. And so I uh, feel like I make a lot of connection with a lot of the kids, you know, in their schools and the in neighborhood. And I think that's important to, to know a lot of them as well. So do they, uh, do you have a favorite sport to coach? Basketball is my favorite. That's Basketball is always the one that I, Obviously. yeah. Right. I, I feel the same. I also <laughs> was a, I was an assistant basketball coach one year for my daughter's team. So I, I took it very seriously. I was Absolutely. responsible for making sure everybody got in the game. And we had a girl on the team. They were like third grade. And I referred to her as party pants because instead of shorts, <laughs> she would wear like these really brightly colored leggings. <laughs> so sometimes party pants was a little, you know, you had to kind of redirect her and, yeah. and but she was living her best life. And I'm sure she's be become Probably not a basketball player, but some other yeah. valuable participant in life. But and it's fun to approach it, too, because uh, now some of them are getting a little older, so more competitive versus when you're just in rec leagues and making sure that you ha kind of have that understanding of what the goals are. And early on, it was, I want the kids to love it and play the next season. If they do that, that was a successful season. And now as they get a little older, you got to push them in some different ways. But um, Do your kids like it that you coach? Yes and no. I mean, we've definitely had those, and I have that conversation. If it ever gets to the point where you don't want me, you just got to let me know. You know, it's not going to hurt my feelings. I'm sure they probably still feel some pressure on that, but um, this past basketball season, Augie, who's my third grader, is like, eh, I don't really care if you coach. And I'm like, got it, understood. Peace out. So I assistant coach on that team. Well, that's good, yeah. Which is perfect. And then... Uh, on my sixth grader, he said he d did want me to coach, so I kind of initiated that, saying, "All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep coaching this team. Would love to do that." But same thing, I love embracing the other role. Do you too. still play? Uh, some pickup games. I stopped the league thing several years ago when I well, realized it's coach and do both, right? Yeah. Well, I just from did, a schedule m more of an injury thing. Oh. Just as we get older, my number one goal is to not get injured. And I feel like in pickup <laughs> games, I have more of that flexibility. Whereas if I'm playing in a league game, I don't really know how to turn that thing off. So I got it. I got it. I can see that. That's good. Yeah. yeah you got to know yourself. You got to sure. know when it's time. Yeah. Just like all the, just like Tom Brady. You just got to know when it's time. That's right. It's not time yet, apparently. No. That's what I hear. So you can't say. Don't ask him about it though. Because he's very touchy about it. Yeah. So uh, to end with, I like to ask people what piece of advice they would give. So if you, looking back on your career and sort of the things that are important to you, you know, if you could implant one nugget in somebody's brain, what what is it that you would tell them? What do you think is important? Um, I would say probably the most important thing is when you're first getting out of school, whether you know what you want to do or you don't, say yes to about everything you can, at least for a couple of years, because it's going to get you 
uh, exposed to a lot more. If you'll just say yes, whether it's the happy hour, the lunch meeting, the uh, nonprofit, whatever it is, if you say yes for a couple of years, it's going to get you. It's going to get you a lot more exposure. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. Well, thanks for being with me, Chris. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's been fun. It has. Thank you.